I'm so excited to be here today, and I am also excited because I'm going camping uh, a father-son-son backpack canoeing trip. And so I get a little intense. You might not know this about me, but uh, maybe like we need to look into some OCD stuff. So uh, I just really want to go light. I don't know if any of you are go light people, but lightweight. So I've got an, uh, a weight ounce machine and I'm putting the burner on there, the camping stove and going, oh, we, you know, I could get a smaller camping stove and uh, I have a budget, so I'm not going crazy. And ooh, this backpack is only three pounds or actually two pounds, 12 ounces, but my old one was four pounds. So I can sell that one. So you can see you getting in the picture. All right. So then I, now I'll move on. All right. So I'm trying to decide, though, what's essential and what's not. What do I have to bring and what do I want to bring? So like a little foam pad for my rear end or a nice cushy chair that kind of rocks back and forth. You know, the comfort would be nice, but that's extra stuff and extra weight. So uh, anyway, it's been a great process. I'll come back to that story later. As you think about your life and as you think about the things that you do day to day, week to week, and as you think about church and God, what is essential for your life? What's something that you use every day? What's something you think every day? What's something that you practice every day? We haven't done this in a while, but why don't you turn to someone near you If you don't want it to be a new person, that's okay, but we do like new people. We do like making new friends. Uh, You might have to tell yourself that. If you're a little scared to do that, then just turn to someone that maybe you're next to or that you came with uh, and ask them what is an essential in their life. What is something they do, like to do, or need to do? All right? I'm going to bring you back. We have, well, don't worry. We have one more question in a moment. Because not only do we have essentials in our life, but we have essentials as a church. So as a, as a healthy church and a, an essential church, we celebrated our first vision meeting last Sunday. And we talked about uh, where God has brought us, what he's done, how he's kind of created something out of nothing. And now as we turn, uh, I guess, from church plant days three, but... One, as we go forward as a new church, we're trying to figure out what are the essentials for what we're going to do? What are we going to put money towards? What are we going to put leadership towards? What are we going to put staffing towards? And how is God going to lead that? And so we had to ask the question, or we're asking the question, what is essential for a healthy, growing, missional church community? And so we think that it's focused on three things, at least throughout history, Church has been primarily focused on three things. They've been focused on a relationship with God. You might call that upwards movement. Moving towards God, relating to God, understanding God, reading the Bible, praying, praying with others. Uh, That would be up. We would talk about um, maybe inward, like knowing and caring for each other, relating to one another, making a new friend, asking how their relationship with God is, asking how... um, we can pray for each other. That would be inward. And then outward would be the next movement. And outward is really serving our city. It's loving our neighbors. 
It's inviting people to understand who God is and how he's revealed himself in Jesus. So as you think about those things as essentials, which we call restoring with God, restoring with others, and restoring what's broken, how do we do as a church? And individually, which one is easy for you? Which comes naturally? And, and what maybe is a little bit harder for you? So take a minute, and again, you can pick church or you can pick personal. Which one's easy for you? Which one's hard for you? Go ahead. All right, let's come back together. Maybe that one was easier for you. Maybe that one was harder for you. But the Bible describes what essential upwards movement is. And as we've been in the series called Playlist, looking at the Psalms, we've been describing, we've been talking about what does it mean to move upwards with God. And so Psalm 150 describes what that kind of upwards movement, I would call it true worship is. So if you have a Bible, you want to turn to Psalm 150. And if you don't have a Bible and you want one, you can get one right in the back. Terry's back there and she will hand you one. And if you don't have it, one, you can just have it. Uh, Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with the timbrel and the dancing. Praise him with the strings and the pipe. Praise him with the clashing of cymbals. Praise him with the resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Can we pray? God, thank you for this morning, for the sunshine and for the reminder that you are always present, that you are powerful, God, that your, your greatness stretches across the galaxy, and sometimes we miss it. God, thank you for this opportunity to gather as your church, God, with others and, and with the reminder of who you are. God, sometimes we just come because we think we're supposed to, or sometimes because we feel like we have to. Sometimes we come and we might not even understand why we do the things we do, why we sing and why we pray and why we look at the Bible, but I pray this morning you would tell us what true worship is and what is essential to it, and then that Holy Spirit, you would speak to us about how we do that. Not as a performance or a grade, but God, just as as your gentle instruction about how we can more closely and more wholly relate to you. So would you speak to us, God, and give us ears to hear and hearts to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Psalm 150, if you didn't turn the page and see next, is the last 
chapter in this book of Psalms, this book of songs, this book of collection of poems. It's the final finale of the finale. The last five poems or the last five songs of Psalms um, are kind of called the doxology. They are this ending piece to a book that's had these movements. So if you're a classical music fan, all right, neither am I, um, then then you'll know that in classical music, there's often movements. So I was uh, listening to um, Mozart, right? Yeah, Mozart's Ninth Symphony. And there's four movements in that. And there's these pauses in between. And I had to look up online and like Google search where the movements are. But it's just beautiful. In the same way, there are these movements in the book of Psalm, Psalms. And these movements have these proper endings, and we could study it, it'd be really fun, but for today we'll just take my word for it. But at the end of the last movement, it moves into this finale, where every single one starts and ends with the words, hallelujah. So they're actually called the hallelujah psalms. But if you look up hallelujah, you'll see it's a Hebrew word, and it's two words actually combined, halle, which is praise, and then yah, which sometimes is translated Jah, which is the abbreviation for Jehovah. So that's where we get praise God. And, and we talked a few weeks ago when we were talking about what it means to praise God, a new way to praise God in Psalm 103. It actually uses the word uh, Barak or blessing but, and, and how that is a command. But in these final movements, in this finale, it actually is this idea of an exclamation. So if you grew up in a church that maybe had a little bit more spirit and a little bit more flair than we do, then you would say, hey, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is the same way. This is the exclamation where we praise God. We hallelujah, start and end every bit of our lives. And this is true worship. This isn't an orchestra concert. This isn't a Christian music festival. This is true Worship And Psalm 150 tells us what true worship is. It means that, that we praise the only one that deserves our praise. So it says, praise God, praise the Lord, Jehovah, praise God, El, the Lord God, in his sanctuary. So who do we praise? True worshipers praise the one true God who reveals himself in Jesus. If you continue in the psalm, it says that true worshipers know who to praise, not only who to praise, but they know where to praise God. It says, praise God in his sanctuary. Not only in the sacred places, but anywhere he is king. If you think of the altar, then, then that's a place where God is worshipped. But, but also, interestingly enough, as I did a little more research, the king of Israel would also be near the sanctuary. So anywhere God is king is a place we praise him. Yes, we praise him in the sacred places, but we also praise him in the sovereign places where he rules. And then it says, praise God in the mighty heavens. Or if you have a different translation, it might say, praise him in the open skies. It would kind of declare how far this king's kingdom goes. True worshipers understand that the kingdom of God goes beyond Jerusalem, it goes beyond the earth, it goes beyond even our galaxy. It expands over universe and over universe and over universe, some of which we're still discovering. So we know where to praise him. True worshipers also know why 
we praise God. In the next verses, it says that, that we should praise him for his acts of power. We praise him for the good things he's done. He spoke at the beginning of the book something from nothing. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. And God spoke it into being. May we never cease to understand or marvel at that. That every time we're in creation, God did these creative acts and he spoke things into being. True worshipers know these creative acts of power. They also know, though, that he is good. They know who he is, and they praise him for who he is. He's not only good, he's great. He's not only great, he's loving. His love is persistent. He, his love stretches beyond himself into a creation that turned their back on him. And they seek to rescue, they, and God rescues his creation. He rescues humanity with Adam and Eve, even giving them covering as they leave the Garden of Eden. He rescues Cain after he kills his brother and he puts a mark on him so that he won't be destroyed. He rescues Noah uh, from the flood. He rescues Abraham from himself and a life serving other gods. And Abraham followed. So he is a God who rescues in redemption and saves his people even after they enter slavery through Moses. And then he sends prophets to them to speak to them as they wander in the wilderness and as they wander in exile. And then finally, he rescues us by sending Jesus, his one and only son, to live, to show us who God is, to show us how to relate to him, to... to remind the religious people that they have made God a religion rather than the creator and the redeemer. And then he dies. And he dies to sin. And he dies for these people that have denied him and these people who've denied who God is. And he conquers death. He conquers sin. He conquers Satan. He rises from the grave. And then he invites people to follow him again. And he says, this has come to fulfill what God started long ago. So true worshipers know why they praise God. Doesn't stop there. This psalm would tell us that true worshipers know how they praise God. They would praise God with song, certainly by singing, which some of us do well and some of us do. But they... Praise God with instruments. I love this part. Um, come on, musical people, are you with me? Especially you who have skills. Um, they praise him with trumpets. They praise him with harps. They praise him with lyres. I guess, Leah, where are you? We got to improve on those. But, but hey, hey, we got tambourines uh, dancing. Woo! Come on, dancing? Okay. Um, praise him with strings and pipe. Okay. Cymbals. Clashing symbols, resounding symbols. And I mean, I love a good organ every now and again, but we're doing pretty good for Psalm 150. There's no organ in Psalm 150. I'm just saying. I like I like the organ, but there's there's no organ here. Now, dancing. 
Let's go back to dancing, because I'm not going to start breakdancing or liturgical dancing or ballet dancing. But think about what dancing represents. And think about your worship. When you dance, you have to put your body into it. You have to put your mind into it. And I would even say you have to put your spirit into it. Otherwise, it just looks lame. Anybody seen Hitched or Hitch or whatever that really old? You just stay right here. This is your spot, okay? Because when you go all over like this, you, it just... But this, this doesn't really do it. I can't see. I can't even keep the beat because I'm trying to do two things at once. And when you dance, there's a sense of self-abandonment. There's a sense that you have to care that nobody's watching, or even if everybody's watching, you've got to just go with it. You've got to put everything into it. And, and this type of idea of being exposed when you dance, because your body becomes the instrument. You know, when I, ask, uh, I asked Kristen if she wanted to play an instrument, and, and she said, you said this before to me, besides my voice, when we sing, we have an instrument with our voice. But when we dance, the instrument becomes our body. I don't know how many of you want to use your body as an instrument. But now you're fully exposed. You don't have a tuba to hide behind. You don't have a cello to sit behind. You've got to put yourself all out there. And, and that's what I think it's starting to describe is these true worshipers, they don't hold anything back. And Jesus shows this. He, he says, I want you to understand not only God's peace, not only his presence, but also I want you to understand his power and his guidance. He wants to go with you every day. Not in the morning and at noon and at night, but all throughout the day. Or as we would say, not just on Sundays between 11 and 12, but every day. So true worshipers, they, they praise God every day of the week. In fact, as the last lines of the psalm would say, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Like, if you breathe, you praise God. And I don't know how many of us who just breathe on Sundays, we praise God all the time, Everywhere we go, with everything we are, with everything we have, because of everything that God is, and everything he's done. That's true worship, according to Psalm 150. Now, think about your life. Think about your last week of your life. Did this kind of praise characterize your last week? And I'm not trying to shame anyone, okay? Not trying to make you feel guilty. But just think about your last week. Does Psalm 150 describe essential worship? I think it does. Is that the kind of worship? Is that the kind of praise that came through your, your week? Did it come through in your thoughts or in your words or in your actions? Now think about 
the last month. Because, you know, everybody has good weeks and bad weeks. So think about the last month. The last month. Does this worship, does this praise characterize the last month of your life? Your thoughts, your actions, your words, your interactions with others. Maybe the last year, some people have bad months. Last year, some people have bad years. Now, maybe this is not hard for you. But as I prepared this week, it was easy to figure out what we just talked about. The who, the what, the when, the why, the how. Oh, I mean, scholars have written sentence upon sentence upon sentence upon what exactly Psalm 150 is trying to say. But then, as I started to say, okay, so what does this mean for me? That was hard. Hard. I don't stand as someone who's run miles and miles down saying, come on, this is what true worship is, let's go. I feel like I'm in the middle of the pack and I've sprained my ankle as we run down the road of true worship. So, I am not, not bringing anything of shame. But, but if this doesn't characterize your life, have you and would you ask God, why not? Just humbly ask him, why doesn't this characterize my life? When I think about it, I think about what I ask people a lot, which I like to talk to people. Oh, come on. I like to talk. But I like to talk to people. So I asked 50, 75, 100 people this week, how are you? And I just waited for the answer. You know the number one answer I heard? Nope, it wasn't fine. Usually it is. I'm tired. I'm tired. Number two, or maybe they're interchanged, I'm busy. I didn't hear, I'm fine and I'm good. I mean, a little, but way down the list, a lot less than I expected. I heard, I'm busy and I'm tired. And maybe I just started to hear it because it's true in my life, or I thought, you know, once you buy the car, you start seeing the same car, make, model, color, and you go, gosh, everybody has this car. But I think it was more than that. I think... We as a people, beyond this room, are busy people. Um, and when we're busy, it usually means, when we say, how are you? Oh, I'm busy. That usually means we're too busy, right? I, I'm, I'm working too much. Um, I'm, I'm doing too much. I'm involved in too much. And how does that come out? Well, I started thinking about it. For me, I think it comes out in... The fact that I might walk by a beautiful garden and forget to stop and look at the colors. And this may seem like a little thing, but think about where we live. We live in a state where there's only four colors like nine or ten months out of the year. Okay? Gray, white, brown, and a little bit of green. A little. And then, well, gray, white, black, brown. For pretty much all winter... 
and then we get a little green. And there's just a couple months where we get this rainbow of colors that are amazing. But usually we're too busy. Or maybe you have this situation when you're too busy that you have a hard time looking at someone in the eye as they're telling, oh, just one more story, just one more thing. Maybe you're already on to your next piece. I think people who are too busy have no time for worship, not just in the church, but really in every area of their life. And people who are usually too busy don't really have time to sit and wonder about what God is saying or what he's doing. So that was number one, busy. Number two was tired. Uh, now, this might be related to being tired, or being, or being tired might be related to being busy, but I was just kind of too busy and tired to think about it longer than that. Um, we're human. This is what God is telling you. Rob, you're human. You have limited knowledge. I am all-knowing. You have limited energy. God has limitless energy, and yet at creation, he chose to cease to rest, to give us a rhythm to life. We cannot operate like machines. We can't. We can't go off... I, I hear people say, well, I, I got three hours of sleep or I got four hours of sleep. All right, I realize I'm not 19 anymore and in college, and even then I could only go off five hours of sleep for about 10 days, and then I'd get sick, and then I'd sleep for 14 hours, and then I'd do it again. And I remember calling my mom at 20, and I'm like, I realize the secret to life, Mom. Oh, yeah, what's that? Just getting enough sleep. Oh, honey. You know, I don't know if any of you are there, but... My mom got a lot smarter between the eight, when I was 18 and when I was 20. She just grew with immense wealth of knowledge. I mean, I think we somehow think that, that we're God. But we're not. And I get the sense from this psalm, when I read this psalm, as it describes true worship, I get the sense that you can't nod off as this psalm is going. I think some of us are just really tired. But I think the biggest reason that our lives don't have this kind of true worship happening over and over is that, that we're too split. What I mean by that is, I think some of us think that God and worshiping God is here, and then our life is here. Where, where we just think reading the Bible and, and singing or a Sunday thing, and that's, that's a part of my life, and it's a good part of my life, and I'm not, I'm not throwing judgment at people. I just think a lot of us think that. And then we have the rest of our life that kind of goes on. And we forget that God wants to be involved in that, is involved with it, is present in that, cares about it. And so when we do that, not because we're trying to be, trying to throw God out the window, we just end up feeling split. And when we're split, it starts to separate. And then we forget that, that breathing keeps us alive. 
And we forget that praise is as constant as breathing. That's what the last verse says. Let everything that breathes praise God. We can't separate praising God and the rest of our life. So to praise, though, is not just to sing, because I think we, we get a, a really narrow view of praise, and that's why we split it, because people like me have not done a good job of explaining, understanding, illustrating what this kind of praise looks like. Praise isn't just singing or playing an instrument or even dancing, although now I've got a new understanding of dancing, but praise is when we offer ourselves to the master. That's worship. The king. When we yield ourselves to the king, Jesus, and to his power and to his love, that's worship. I mean, look at what it says in John 4. Jesus says to the, to the woman that's at a well, he says, my father is looking for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Those are true worshipers. Or Romans 12, one that, that we, uh, Paul says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true and proper worship. This is what I think we've been missing. And we're given a clue in the instruments. Okay? So if you look at these instruments... You know, I kind of knocked the organ for a minute there. It wasn't, it didn't mean to be mean. But look at the instruments. If you read them, they give a clue as to why this is so tied to the king. Trumpets announce a new king. Flutes and lyres. And you go back into Chronicles. And you read about David um, with his commanders of the army setting out the sons of Asaph Herman and Jedithun for the ministry of prophesying accompanied by harps, lyres, and cymbals. So the king, the king's king, we've talked about him, the ideal king, he sets up these people to do this. Okay? With these instruments, as it goes on, it says that these men were under the supervision of their, these men. And as you look through the list of the sons of these three guys, you'll see that it gets broken down into 24 groups. 1 Corinthians 25, or 1 Chronicles 25, if you want to look it up later. Okay? 24 groups. That's important. So now, when the new temple is, is inaugurated, okay, when it's established, and, and Solomon is the one to do that, David's son, now these three musicians come forward, Asaph, Herman, and Jedithun, same guys, 24 groups. The trumpets blast, the lyres go, the harps go, the cymbals crash, and it says that the Lord God came and filled the temple with a cloud, giving the people of a glimpse of his glory and his power and his presence. But even Solomon, the wisest king, said, even this splendor, this beauty, this temple, God, God can't dwell here. God doesn't live here. God can't be contained in this temple. Think about, I mean, it it describes like sacrifices beyond all number. And when God's glory and his gray cloud filled the temple, it said that that these musicians couldn't play because of the glory of the Lord in a gray cloud. Not a pillar of fire, not God's actual presence, a gray cloud. It was so dense. It was so amazing. It was so powerful that they couldn't even play. 
They couldn't perform their service, 2 Chronicles 5.14, because of the glory of the Lord that had filled the temple. I would call that they were awestruck. We have a phrase. Oh, that took my breath away. When is the last time your breath was taken away? I got to see that new baby. And new babies take my breath away. You know, like, okay, definitely watching it. But that, I didn't do that this time. Just seeing new birth. And, and the, the parents, I mean, take breath away because of the pain. But even the, the birth of a baby and, and the breath that they take, which is usually a wail or a cry, sucking in that first air, it takes my breath away. Tragedy can take your breath away. My church planting director, Mike, who, who's walked with me for five years, six years on this road of, of preparing to do this and doing this, his dad died in a car crash this week. His breath was taken away. I mean, his dad, literally, no pun intended, but his, Mike is just in shock. Another friend who's waiting for the results of her mom's cancer, and she's holding her breath. I don't say these things lightly. These moments literally take our breath away. They are intense. They, they intensify what our understanding is, and, and this should characterize our praise. Maybe we don't understand true worship because we don't have these moments of our breath being taken away. You know, these 24 groups and this king and this new temple inauguration, well, in Revelation, John actually tells the story of a vision of seeing the new king in the new temple in this new place. And it's crazy, wicked, awesome. Um, it's crazy, wicked, awesome. It says, um, And instantly I was in the spirit and I saw the throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones, like jasper and carnelian. The glow of an emerald encircled his throne like a rainbow. Twenty-four thrones surrounded him and the twenty-four elders sat on them. You catch in the twenty-four groups of musicians and they were clothed in white and gold and crowned. From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. In the front of the throne, there were seven torches burning in flames. These were the sevenfold, the sevenfold spirit of God. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass, sparkling like crystal. And in the center around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes, front and back. The first being was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third was like a human face, and the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings all covered with eyes, inside and out. And day after day, and night after night, they kept saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who was, who is, and who's still to come. Whenever the living beings give glory and honor to God and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne who lives forever and ever. And they lay down on their crowns before him and say, You are worthy, Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because they exist, they exist because you created them. That's true worship. I mean, I don't even understand half of those things. And I don't think John did either. But maybe true worship is simply getting a glimpse of who God is in everything we do.
when you like to create things, when you sing, when you play music, but when you mow the lawn, when you wash the dishes, when you spend time with someone you care about, that's a moment where we can praise God. We can remember who he is, remember how he's designed us. What is your next week and next month and next year look like in terms of being a true worshiper? Understanding this glimpse and this picture of God, what does it look like to join in the hallelujah choir Maybe you're not a singer, maybe you're not a dancer, but you'll get an opportunity to sing and to dance. The band's going to come up. And I want you to think about what's essential. You know, as I was packing my stuff, I showed my son the picture of a water filter. And I'm like, I think this is a, I think this is a must. And he's like looking at me, and I'm explaining what a water filter does. Like, honey, we're going to take water from the lake, and we're going to put it in here, and it's going to clean. He's like, oh. So he turns around, and he starts walking away, and he says, Dad, don't forget the air pump. I'm like, our tire pump? I'm like, what? It's like the air pump. If we're going to bring the water pump, we should bring the air pump. Well, we need air to breathe, right? Are you going to pack that? Yeah, that's right. Breathing is essential. Nice work, son. You got your mom's brain, didn't you? But what if... What if that was our understanding of praise? was just like breathing. And so every time we breathed in, we remembered how good God was and how much he loves us and how he saved us even when we turned our back from him. And when we breathed out, we'd say, God, live through me. Live in me. I am seated with you in the heavens in that picture of the diamonds and the rubies. Like you tell me in Ephesians that I am with you at the right hand of Jesus who is at the right hand of God. That's our spiritual reality, friends. Every moment of every day. It may not feel like that. But it's true. If we were to classify the Psalms by quantity, it'd be the book of lament, the book of complaining, in the book of negativity. But, even though there's more laments than praise, the book ends in praise, our lives want to end in praise. Where are you in the journey from lament to praise? What's essential for you to be a true worshiper? What do you need to do next week? What do you need to ask God to do in you to worship him more fully. Let's pray and join in some hallelujahs. God, if we breathe, we live. And if we live, then you tell us that we praise you, the one true God who reveals himself in Jesus. Holy Spirit, let that be our response. Let us be true worshipers that don't just do the mechanics, but really start to understand more and more of who you are. God, may we join in this hallelujah course, self-abandoned, giving ourselves to you, offering ourselves to you, offering our lives to you, offering our work to you and our families to you. All of us, for all of you. Amen.